1: I'm delighted to be here tonight in the cozy confines of Artifact Coffee to continue our Origin Speaker Series. I'm Spike Jurdy, the owner of Woodbury Kitchen here in Baltimore. This gathering is intended to advance the conversation about food, its origins, and what is happening around our food system in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. We started our first restaurant, Woodbury Kitchen, with a commitment to local sourcing and now work closely with more than 60 different farmers and producers throughout the region. We supply our four restaurants and our canning and butchery operations with meat, eggs, grains, fish and shellfish, cooking oil, cheeses and produce, literally everything we need to feed our guests. The hope is that this series will shine a light on the work that this community is doing in our area. The conversation is held monthly at Artifact, our coffee shop, in the heart of the Woodbury neighborhood in Baltimore.
2: So uh, welcome. This is great. We're really excited about tonight. I've been waiting for, what, six months, five months <laughs> to do this. <laughs> and we chose the date and uh, for a special reason. So we'll have uh, Seema and Vivek explain why we chose tonight um, instead of last June or yeah. July. <laughs> we originally
3: spoke about September.
2: Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm just going to start by saying years ago when my husband and I used to come to Woodbury Kitchen, 12 years ago... At the beginning of Woodbury Kitchen, um, he ordered his sort of, you know, de facto drink, which was a gin and tonic, very tall, very cold, very uh, a double usually with a lime, <laughs> and of course we were told you're not going to get a lime. Well, that here. wasn't at
1: the very beginning.
2: <laughs> what was that, a year later?
1: No, we, it was in 2015 we decided to stop using citrus.
2: Okay. So All we right.
1: had citrus kind of, in fact, our most popular drink was this government mule. Oh,
2: I remember that. Which
1: was very intensive citrus and ginger. I do remember that. And one day I came in and I saw this case of lime sitting there and the ginger was coming from China. It was very difficult to source ginger in the quantity, and so that was kind of a watershed moment. Okay, all right, I'll
2: take it back. All right, but But it
1: wasn't that, yeah. The
2: the point was, (laughs) we went home and we said, we're going to grow our own limes. So we started, uh, we went out and bought a little lime plant, and um, we've had it for three years, and we've had about eight limes. (laughs) So when we do come to Woodbury, Matt brings his own line with him. (laughs)
1: Smart. Very smart.
2: So when I had heard that there were these citrus growers in New Jersey, I was completely puzzled and amazed and thought, okay, that's completely crazy. (laughs) And I'm from New Jersey, just full disclosure. Um, I got to meet these people and find out what they're doing. So fast forward, we're just thrilled to welcome uh, Seema on the end and their 11-year-old daughter, Simran, and Vivek Malik, right, or Malik? Malik. Malik, uh, from Bordentown, New Jersey. And I'll just read a little uh, about their bio um, here. New Jersey? Bordentown, Bordentown, New Jersey, yep. so, let's see. The, the Malik, Malik's are self-taught, part-time citrus growers. Citrus is a passion stemming from their love of Japanese cuisine. A chance encounter with uh, yuzu soy sauce at Nobu in New York started a journey, a long journey, <laughs> oh, my page here, of discovery an adventure which has led to a greenhouse filled with 16 citrus varieties, as I said, in Bordentown, New Jersey. Uh, in Hindi, "Boomi," which is the name of their company, the Boomi Growers, refers to Mother Earth. Boomi Growers is a labor of love to honor Vivek's mom, who passed away just before this venture was born. Uh, Vivek and Seema focus on growing and sourcing specialty citrus for their customers and are constantly learning and educating themselves to help improve quality, the quality of their citrus. They are pleased to call some of the best names in food in the Northeast as their clients. Their growth so far ha- is based on the philosophy of establishing a direct connection with chefs, bartenders, brewers, and consumers through Instagram, Twitter, and referrals from existing customers. So they're very pleased to bring their passion for citrus with us tonight. Uh, so I'm just going to sort of leave it at that, and then um, I'll talk a little bit at the end as well. So I just wanted to welcome you all to Thank Baltimore. Thank you. Thank, and, you. Thank uh, you for having us. Thrilled to really have you here. And I'll let take it away.
1: I just discovered my chair is defective. Okay. So if I uh, if yeah. you lose me, uh, no, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. You sure? But uh, yeah, this is great. I'm so glad you guys are here. Thank you for making the trip down.
4: Thank you for having and,
1: us. And um, you, you were hanging around. Um, artifact here earlier and showed us some of your... Tw- do we have those toys? Are they in... Are you yeah, going sh- to sh- show... Are. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to... And we have a, we have the the, that tr- uh, the lime tree, right? Yes. So maybe we'll ha- need those in here as a... Uh- yeah, that would be great. But I do want to kind of start off... Uh, in- this, this is such a meaningful topic for me in-, in, a- in a different way than is typical because it's true, as, as we were just talking about, that at it- it Woodbury, we kind of made the decision as-, as a team in 2015 to stop using citrus, which um, is still one of the more unusual kind of salient... Aspects of Woodbury that gets talked about somewhat is that we don't have citrus for in um, uh, for our bar, bar program, and we don't use citrus in general, um, or hadn't used citrus um, for for any of our um, in in our cooking uh, for these these past uh, three going on four years. And my decision around that, or my my kind of, I kind of put that in front of the team, and our our decision was to um, to not support this this kind of. Um, Citrus production, for me, was kind of a um, mixed bag at best. And we don't like to support at Woodbury a lot of uh, monoculture, kind of industrial-scale agriculture. Um, and citrus, to me, seemed to kind of, you know, whether it was the lime production in Michoacan in, 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 um, in Mexico or, you know, you know, monocultures for oranges and lemons, um, a lot of which seemed to be very chemical-intensive, uh, in in uh, Florida and California, just not something we wanted to really be a part of. And the cool thing for us is that it's kind of forced us to kind of com- think about acidity in different ways and find so- local sources of acidity, uh, which for us include um, verju and vinegars and, and, and different ferments uh, that are locally made and available. Uh, that's kind of what we use. Um, until we met you guys. And that's, uh, that's kind of the, the very cool turn that this took. I didn't... Um, well, when did you all start?
3: Uh, so the journey started 17 years ago, but we actually started, you know, working with chefs about three years ago. So it's been that part
1: of it relatively recent. Very recent, Yes, yes. yes. and it is it is truly. I'm drinking um, uh, my sparkling water here with some calamansi, and it really is um, extraordinary what you're doing. And I will say, as a chef, and I think um, I don't have anything against citrus. I love. I think the deliciousness of citrus is one of the most settled culinary questions that there are. It is unquestionably delicious, and your citrus in particular is, uh, I think, very interesting because you focus focus on some of the, the lesser-known varieties. Right. Um, and one of the things I love now about when we have your citrus at Woodbury at regs progress is, is how um, precious it is. And I think that citrus is delicious, but it's so ubiquitous and, and a lot of times um, so kind of just just available and so relatively cheap that we just kind of lose sight of how delicious it is. Your, your citrus, Kalamansi or Yuzu, comes in and it's just like every single one is just a, a, a precious thing that we have to, to kind of make the most of, which we're doing tonight for dinner. I did it with this drink. Um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about that, the quality of your citrus. Uh, but first, I'd love to hear about, you know, kind of that, that journey and how you got started. Sure,
3: so the journey basically started 17 years ago. And, uh, you know, we didn't have Simran at the time. We, uh, (laughs) working uh, in New York City, decided, you know what, let's try different types of cuisine. Ended up at Nobu and uh, tried the yellowtail sashimi with uh, jalapeno and uh, yuzu soy. So we basically loved the food and said, oh, what? So spoke to the... Uh, chef, uh, and he said, "You know what? This is yuzu." And I said, "What is yuzu?" Oh, don't worry about it. It's just uh, Japanese citrus. And she said, okay, and uh, so so he showed up again the second time, and tried it again. We loved it even more, and uh, so we couldn't get enough of it basically, <laughs> and uh, said, "You know, okay, we need to find yuzu because these meals are getting really expensive." <laughs>
4: And also, I think we bought their cookbook to figure out what is it.
1: You bought the Nobu cookbook,
4: yes, yeah.
3: to, to kind
1: of yeah. to, gotcha
4: to get into the back end uh-huh. door and uh-huh. figure out what because the, they
1: weren't being that helpful. It sounds yeah. So right. so the
4: the cookbook and the recipe Chefs, says like, hmm. the recipe says use two tablespoons you juice use juice like and where do I get it? It doesn't say where to get it, it. Just tells you how to what to do with it. So anyway, I'm sorry.
3: No. So basically, we. Uh, Go looking for it. We go to Wegmans. Can't find it there. We go to Whole Foods. Mm-mm, not available there either. And uh, so you know, we try to uh, find it on the internet. No luck. And uh, so a few years pass, Ooh. and uh, finally, you know, because we have been so fond of Japanese cuisine over the years, we keep going to Mitsua, which is like a Japanese supermarket in Edgewater, New Jersey. And uh, one of these visits in, I think it was December of 2002, right around this time, and uh, we find uh, these small yuzu in their produce section. And I start jumping with joy. (laughs) I said, see, see, we got some yuzu, finally, you know? And um, so we grab a whole bunch, come home, make uh, the yuzu soy, and try it on hand rolls, our sashimi, and so on and so forth. Then after that, we're left with seeds. And uh, I, I, to be honest, I really like gardening. So I took those seeds and I planted them. And it sounds like a crazy story, but...
4: It is a crazy story. It is a crazy
2: (laughs) story.
3: So, um, uh, this is in December and by, I think it was February or March, we have these tiny saplings, seven of them. And uh, we say, you know what, I tell Seema, honey, Promise you we're going to have our own yuzu and uh, that's that's what it's going to be. So, you know, two year process goes on. Two becomes four, four becomes eight. And we are now in year 12 and there's no yuzu. And these trees are five to six feet tall and big containers. And every year I bring them in, every year I take them out. And this is in my backyard. And she's finally had it. She says... Honey, enough. This needs to stop. You're crazy. Get rid of this stuff. This is not working. So I say, you know, just one last chance, please. And uh, to my good fortune, in that year, that is, this is, I think, in 2014 now, uh, we have some uh, yuzu blossoms. And uh, we're so excited. And, you know, some blossoms, obviously, uh, fall, and, and we have a little bit of fruit. So we make all kinds of fun things with this yuzu and we're really excited. And um, that basically the next year, so now this year I have no resistance by the way. (laughs) Trees can come in, no problem, everything is fine. So next year we have a lot more fruit. And uh, so we're sitting at a restaurant in Philly and um, we are looking at this menu and uh, it says, Yuzu flavored so and so, and a yuzu drink, and so we just, you know, these we start bouncing these ideas off of each other and say, you know, maybe there's a market for this yuzu stuff, you know, and uh, why don't we try it and speak to some chefs? So we go to our local uh, farm-to-table restaurants, and the, that year, and we give them some samples of yuzu and say, would you like to try it? They say, yeah, we would love the idea. Please share some. So we do that. And uh, so some chefs liked it, some didn't care too much for it, and some some of the farm-to-table were really excited about it and basically uh, asked us for more. So that year, all the production pretty much went away in just samples. What year is this again? Uh, This is now 2014. 15. 15. 15. 15. Mm -hmm. 2015, the next year. And uh, so then, you know, we still, that demand keeps growing into the summer and there's no yuzu available in the summer. So we create a waiting list. And uh, that fall, when we have more yuzu, pretty much all of it just gets sold out in like a few months. And uh, so that's what really led to this whole journey, and, you know, and then that's when we said, okay, we need to get trees. So... <coughs> we, need to,
4: I, we need to get out of my living room. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Two different ways of stuff. Number one.
4: Stuff yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's giving you the nice yeah. of the I said, this is not happening out of my family room because now <laughs> we have her. Uh-huh. I need that family room for her to be able to do stuff. Uh-huh. These trees need to leave. So, so then we, I think we uh, so, networked a little bit to figure out what we could do. And just luckily right. our agriculture agent was able to hook us up with a greenhouse that has some space. And Was and
1: it a dis, disused greenhouse or? No. Just had some They just had space. space. I
4: don't
3: know. <laughs> we, uh-huh. were we were lucky. just lucky. So we, we ended up getting, uh, I, I think, about 500 square feet of space and uh, uh, hooked up with some growers in California, in Oregon, because that's where the real citrus production is. And we needed these citrus trees. And uh, so uh, we connected with these folks and we bought some citrus trees from them. And uh, so then the demand kept increasing, and now we have, like, have 5,000 square feet of space.
1: In the same greenhouse? Yeah. In the same greenhouse. same
3: greenhouse.
1: That's a lot of space. <laughs> and how many, so how many trees? I know you know how many, exactly how many
5: trees you have.
4: But uh, over this summer, actually, let me answer. This. Yeah. Over this summer, my husband says to me, I don't know how many trees we have, which is not true. He knows exactly how many trees he has. It's all in his head. So we go and we uh, find a way to tag these trees, like number these trees. Uh-huh. Each one of them gets a number so that then we can call them by the number rather than saying, oh, the tree in that corner. Right. <laughs> so we started at one and we have stopped the last tree that I tagged was 850.
3: <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. And, and when we did that, I was like, I mean, you know, this is too much. I told him this is a lot. This is a lot. lot. we're going overboard. We need to stop. Like stop buying trees. <laughs> you have to stop buying trees. You can only graft now on existing rootstock that we have in, grafted before on. Uh-huh. So just use just graft. Do not buy any more trees. I'm not I'm not signing checks to buy trees.
3: <laughs> are you the check
1: signer in the yes. gotcha. <laughs> That's in-
3: now comes out the real truth, right?
1: <laughs> so it's it's interesting. I think, you know, like, like Dana and her lime tree, there are many, I mean, having a citrus tree in your house is a nice thing, and a lot of people do it on that kind of level. What do you think took you guys from being kind of hobbyists who had, what, the seven trees from your original seven seeds to 800 and, and what precipitated that to t- turn this into, I guess, is now
3: a, a, a business? yes. It's it's, it's, a, it's a, I would say it's a part-time business. Okay. And uh, it, you, you want to ask? No, go ahead. So uh, basically, I think what really, it was our love for the Yuzu that really, you know, precipitated doing what we are doing. And the fact that it was so well received by uh, local chefs, by other restaurants in the country. You know, we are immigrants who have, you know, come here to do big and better things. And the fact that this was such a welcoming gesture by friends, by family, we really thought that, you know what, we can actually make our dream come true. That's what really was the turning tide for us. And that's what we decided to do.
4: When we first, when we first got into the greenhouse, we were like, okay, we have fruit, we have trees. We know the local restaurants. What next? We know, we, and we, were, we are not big social media users, personally speaking. Right. So then we reached out to a few people who were social media users, and we said, so how do we do this Instagram thing? <laughs> <laughs> and so we were put on the path by somebody close to us, uh, started an Instagram account for us, and started. she did the first few postings on our behalf because we didn't even know how to do that. Uh-huh. And Amy was actually one of our first few followers. Uh-huh. And she said, I grew citrus too. How are you doing that? So we had a lot of conversations with her. So that kind of conversations has just become part of our narrative. It's it's us talking directly to the clients, directly to the chefs. We do not um, deal with any middlemen um, or distributors at all. We like to talk directly to our um our ultimate users, which are mostly, most of the time, is chefs and bartenders and beer brewers. Mm-hmm. So to get feedback from them about what they liked, what they didn't like, how we can do something differently. Um, and we like that kind of interaction. And when, when you have that kind of interaction, I think it just encourages you more to do more of the same or do different things. And and quite honest, we quickly realized that we were in a niche situation where we were doing something so off the table off the rack that people were really interested which it just you know encourages encourage you to do more and more and more and more but as far as adding all these varieties to our greenhouse yeah. is concerned that's just him <laughs> <laughs> that's just him waking up one morning and saying i think we should get this one that's it
1: so how many varieties
3: is it now uh, it's 16 16 different varieties and is still kind of the... Yeah. Yuzu is the, the creme de la creme, always close to our heart.
4: Yeah, Yuzu is uses, uses the mainstay, then the calamansi, which you tasted, and and a smaller production of the sudachi, which is a smaller citrus, very, very uh, typically Japanese, uh-huh. and um, other Japanese varieties. We have people calling us, asking us for mild lemons and navel oranges. And we say, no, we don't do that. We don't do things you can just buy right. at Wegmans, we, you know, we do the rare and, stuff.
3: And the, the challenge with that is uh, restaurants and chefs, they get upset. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> it so becomes...
5: What, hold it up so we know what you're talking about. Yeah, so this
3: right. is the calamansi, And this is the, uh, and, uh, this is the, the Yuzu. So and you know it's just very hard for us to say no to the chefs and say to be honest no to the business. So we have you know uh, connected with growers in California, and you know if they want different varieties, we are happy to offer that to them as well. So that you know we don't lose the business, we give them what we grow, we give them what we get from California. So they are happy, we are happy, you know, and uh, I think it's it's working so far. Do you see yourself as kind of a, a, a
1: in contrast to, to commodity citrus? I mean, it's.
3: I think, in, uh, to be honest, in our case, it kind of like almost complements each other in many ways because we are able to offer this niche product. And so when chefs really want the niche product, they come to us for that. And when they want the more commercial varieties, like say satsumas and the others and like bloods, it's, it's almost impossible for us to grow those in container settings in a greenhouse. It just, it's just, the fruit is too big, and the trees just can't sustain that kind of uh, you know, weight, and, and the production is going to go way out of hand. So that's when you know, we're trying to complement each other and say, you know what, we have the niche product, we have the commercial product, take what you like.
1: Right. I guess I, you know, I'm kind of... Caught in this world where I'm not trustworthy, trusting of the larger, typical larger operations. And one of the things I've found out is that a lot of citrus is treated with with fungicides, and you guys don't have to do that. No. No. Right. No. Um, That alone is kind of would be enough for me to.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So because we because it's a greenhouse, and it's not exposed most of the time to uh, uh, the elements. In, we are able to control the humidity, the temperature within the greenhouse to avoid getting to a point where we have an outburst of pests um, to a point where something chemical has to be done. Right. Usually we try to do it with the help of beneficial insects uh-huh. and then neem is, is the standard go-to. So um, like this morning, like I told you earlier today, the citrus you're seeing right now, we literally harvested it on our way down. Like just cut it, right. put it in a brown paper bag, and brought it, brought it to you. So I think that's our, that's our um, I don't know what's, what's the, that's our brand in right. a way, right? Yeah, yeah, We're, yeah. You come to us, you, you, um, you get a freshly picked, untreated citrus. But if you really want a Buddha's hand that I do not grow, or an eatrog, which is also a funky citrus. That, but I do not grow it because it's big. Uh-huh. I can't grow it. I can get it for you. But then that comes with whatever it comes with. Right. right.
1: So you're also, you're fortunate, I guess, in greenhouse not to have to worry about storms and things like that. Yes. But are you are you subject, or do you feel at risk from some of the other things that are threatening citrus, the citrus growing, like citrus greening or canker?
3: Actually, that's a that's a very good question, and. Uh, so that's been the biggest challenge for the citrus industry in Florida. It's uh, citrus greening, uh, Ong Long Bing basic, which is the Asian citrus psyllid, that really is the vector that carries this uh, disease from one plant to another. It's also now appeared in California. So the, it's really creating devastation everywhere. We have just been very fortunate because A, our production is smaller, and B, uh, the setting is such, because it's a greenhouse-controlled environment, the chances of us getting any kind of Asian citrus psyllid is almost close to zero. Not that it cannot happen. Obviously, it can, but, you know, the researchers that we have spoken to in Florida and in California, they just feel that, you know, the environment just doesn't exist for the psyllid to be able to actually thrive thrive in in our environment because it's so cold. Right. Great. So that helps us.
1: Which is especially great to know because it seems like as soon as we've gotten antibiotics out of chicken industry, you know, in places like Maryland, it's now they're, they're talking about using that as a, as a treatment for this. I mean, as a last ditch treatment, I guess, for citrus green. Yeah, just kind of worrisome. Diseases,
3: yeah, and it, it's just, uh, they've, I think they've tried literally everything under the sun. And what researchers have been able to do is slow the disease down and, uh, you know, by providing extra nutrition and all this other stuff that's going on, but they haven't been able to come up with a cure so far. So everybody is very hope- hopeful that it does. That they find something. Yeah, that so they, find they, they, something. they find something, sure.
4: We don't know yet. We are not on the research end of things. Right.
1: <laughs> One, another thing that would come up with in being in a greenhouse is the energy usage. And, you know, I'm sure there's a savings because it's coming from so close. I mean, for us, it's, a, it's kind of a, a little bit further away than we usually work with. but. It's, it's an amazing product, and we have a, a few things like that that we go a little further afield for. But do you have a sense of the energy usage for the greenhouse and, and, and how that?
4: Oh, it's a very interesting story. Rick, you want to take that?
0: No, go ahead. You should. you should. Oh. Yes, you should. <laughs> so
4: the greenhouse that we currently occupy, it's owned by the county that we, the, the, the greenhouse sits in.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Right? Not too far away is the county waste management system. The greenhouse is heated and controlled completely by the uh, gases produced by the waste management system. So they have.
1: Is it like a methane? It's a methane. methane. Uh-huh. It's basically yes. methane. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
4: So that that is what is used in the.
1: That's what heats your greenhouse. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. It's,
3: it's. So our heating costs
4: are zero because of the greenhouse because of the methane.
3: And and the greenhouse tends to control the rent that we end up paying just because of the sheer reuse of the gas that comes out of this facility. Yeah. You say that the greenhouse tends to what? The, the, the costs tend to stay lower, yeah. so therefore, you know, it's easier, it's more viable to produce citrus because we have to maintain the citrus at around 55 degrees yeah. in the greenhouse. Yeah, so, so we don't
4: really heat up the greenhouse to, you know, if it, we were growing, say, tomatoes, we would heat up the greenhouse to a much higher temperature than we do right now. And with 55 degrees, there's you know, very little minimal usage.
3: And we it all comes from the waste management site, so that kind of helps keep the costs low as I'm well. I'm sure. Yeah. The that's incredible. Costs low. I didn't yeah. know that. That's, yeah. that's
1: amazing. So Spike, that,
5: because that's a county thing, I use this. Just uh, that has to be part of New Jersey's contribution to the uh, re- uh, regional Greenhouse gas initiative, the RGGI. So the county will actually get um, uh, money for having used the waste methane out of that um, landfill.
1: Oh, nice! Good to know. I mean, that's that's. We were just. I was just um, at a conference and we were talking a lot of a lot of these issues are greenhouse gases and carbon. is is at the forefront of of, of these conversations. It's kind of cool that you guys had this unexpected connection. Yeah, we
4: honestly, we didn't know that at the time when we we just needed to get the trees out of my family. (laughs) 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 They just needed to go somewhere. So so, to be honest, it didn't play into our decision to move to the trees over there. But it just, it's a happy coincidence that that's the case. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So does
3: it feel like it's is a is it a viable business uh so far so that's far, what yeah. it looks like yeah and uh there's enough demand and uh it's hard for us to keep up with uh demand for the local citrus as well as for stuff that we source so i think it's it's definitely a good business model
1: how does the business break down now between the stuff you're growing yourselves and what you're what you're sourcing from other other growers
3: so i would say it's you know it just depends on who is looking for it. For example, the very local restaurants, uh, you know, strictly tell us, hey, we don't want anything that is sourced like like yourselves, uh-huh. and uh, we just want it local. And then there are maybe a restaurant in say Chicago or uh, say Boston where they really don't care, so long as they get the product, they're happy with it. So it just it's. Very subjective. It just So
1: you're shipping as far away as, as Chicago and Boston. Yes, yes.
3: Well, yeah.
1: Really does speak
3: to the, the niche kind yeah. of aspect of the, the, this yes. fruit isn't And just because it, it's it's very hard to find this locally right. anywhere. So period. Hard to find, period. Yeah. Did, did you ever have the bottled Yuzu juice? Have you ever it's
1: tried It's horrible. That? It's horrible, right? <laughs> I was just thinking, like if you had tried if that had been your intro to Yuzu you probably wouldn't have thought had another thought yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah.
4: Uh, we were told actually by someone, oh, just use the bottled stuff. And we did try it. It's horrible. It's yeah. not the same It doesn't thing. have It has such a uh, taste that there's stuff in there, that preservatives in there that, you know, you can just taste it. I mean, there's yuzu. There's a faint hint of yuzu somewhere in the back. Right, right.
3: <laughs> but more of a bottled kind of... Yeah, very of bottled. And yeah. it all yeah. comes pre-bottled from Japan. Japan. Right. And uh, I think there's... A ton of supply coming in from there, so it's all being consumed by restaurants across the country. So,
1: what are your favorite uses? And I, th- you're a pastry chef, right? Yes. yes. And you must, it must be kind of extraordinary to have yuzu in the family. Yes, yeah. we
6: have a
4: problem. I think she's a little spoiled. <coughs> when it's not yuzu season and we have to buy regular limes or lemons for the home use, she looks at us. You want me to use this? <laughs> I'm using this. Make, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Yuzu, there's right. no yuzu
6: on the trees. We can't give you any.
1: So what do you like to do with yuzu and Um
6: Well, I've made uh, cakes and I've made macaroons. And uh, the other day, my friend came over and we attempted to make cupcakes. I'm not gonna say they turned out good because they didn't. Um, but um, I brought some yuzu meringues for everyone here this evening. Um, they're colored to uh, represent uh, the changing of the yuzu from green to yellow or the ripening of the yuzu. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
6: but uh, at home, we use the yuzu for uh, making yuzu kosho, which is a spread. Um, and we have a variety of different uses for that. Uh, we also make yuzu ponzu sauce. Um, and when sudachi's in season, we make a sudachi soup um, using um, noodles we get from Mitsua. Uh, we use scallions, um, um, we use uh, chicken bone broth, mm-hmm. and we use sudachi ponzu sauce, and uh, we put sudachi mm. slices in it just to give it a little bit more flavor. Wow.
1: That yeah. sounds amazing.
3: We're
1: going to have to change our menu. We're <laughs> <laughs> lose our mind. We are going to use a lot of uh, yuzu and calamansi and in um, tonight's dinner, but... Let's talk a little bit more about
3: calamansi. This is a lime, right? Am I right about that? No. It's it's basically, it's a a hybrid between an orange Uh and a quat. Okay. And uh, it's primarily grown in the Philippines. And the the wonderful uh, flavors of this, it's basically been used by uh, breweries. It's been used in desserts. It's been used by chefs. So it it has these various uses, and uh, that's I think that's what really makes this thing really special. Yes,
4: and it, you can bite into the whole thing, so it, it, you can eat it like a kumquat. Right, the whole the whole thing can go in your mouth.
3: And it's, and the f- fun fact about the calamansi is that it grows almost year round. The fruit are fruits year round. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and almost just a couple months in the summer when the trees are taking rest, but other than that, it's like Constantly flowering, constantly fruiting. It's, it's wonderful.
1: Whereas yuzu, not so much. Not so much. Apparently it's there are times you have to go without yuzu.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Hardship.
1: So how often do you, how, so, so this, the what's yuzu, the season, I guess? For so
3: the yuzu actually uh, starts, the, the flowering happens end of May, early June, and uh, the uh, fruit starts to uh, get into full gear by I would say end of August, early September and then it's in it's fully ripe by December. Right around now, November, December perfect. is the time it's perfect. Uh-huh. And that was one of the reasons why we decided to uh, be on the show right around this time, so that we could bring some yuzu for everybody. Was there
1: something about the, your, your first planting of those seeds that, or does yuzu usually, usually take that long to bear fruit?
3: It's just the seed. If you grow any citrus from seed, it just takes that much longer. It's, it, it's a 12 to 15 year cycle for the fruit to actually develop on a tree. However, if you do grafting, almost 99% of all citrus that's grown is grafted. And that brings the tree to uh, the, to bear fruit much faster. In fact, it's almost uh, 80% quicker. It just takes two to three years. And you got this. Yes. Yeah.
4: Now when we first started with the seed, we didn't know that. Show and
2: tell.
4: Yes, yeah. I love this we didn't know that growing from seed is not a good idea right we didn't know so we waited 12 years when we could have just grafted something had we known that grafting is an option but we just educated ourselves all after the fact once we got the uh, once we got the greenhouse we we're like okay now we need to figure out what we are really doing right and that's when the education started
1: <laughs> and it's funny yeah that's it usually starts like after you, you're already neck deep. Yeah, <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <But laughs> already just, neck deep, yes. committed to a whole bunch of things. Okay, right. we, do, we need to figure we need out to what figure we're this doing. Out.
1: <laughs> well, this is cool. This is a. Uh, why don't you tell us what this is?
3: So, this is basically a Markov line, and it has been grafted in two spots. This was done uh, right around the first week of uh, August, and uh, our grafter right here has done it. Wow. So she is very good at this now. I, ju- I just needed a little bit of practice and uh, she's been able to grow this. Essentially, what it is is you take a bud from uh, a mature tree and surgically just insert it right in the cambium, just open up the cambium layer and insert it right under the cambium layer and then uh, take grafting uh, buddy tape or grafting tape and then just seal that wound. And let, and just let it be. If the conditions are right, if it's uh, appropriately humid and uh, not as dry, then the graft tends to take, and that is about close to between anything, anytime time between 8 and 12 weeks. So, and then once it takes off, it doesn't need much care. Obviously, if there's pests, then that's a different discussion. But typically, citrus plants don't need that much care once they are grafted. And they have taken. And so how long ago was this? Did I miss that? How long ago? Was so this this was in uh, August. This year. Yeah. yeah. So three, four months. Four, four months. months. Uh-huh. Yeah. And but the good part is it's going to get all the entire winter to you know grow. basically grow and establish itself, and then uh, in the spring it's just going to be perfect.
1: And is this a new uh, variety? For, I, t- let's talk a little bit about what
3: this this tree is. So the leaves can be used. It's basically essentially used in Thai cooking, and uh, it is extremely flavorful. And the rind has uh, the rind of the fruit is got these essential oils that really enhances uh, cooking. It can uh, again be used in uh, by breweries as well. And uh, there's uh, beer that's made out of market limes. So again, so the Markut lime, what we used to call Kafir lime, kaffir lime. Is, is now generally uh, referred to as the Markut lime. Right, right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And there, just a fun fact: there's six thousand different varieties of citrus that exist. So you have some work to do. <laughs> well, this is.
1: I, I just. This is so extraordinary. It's, it's great. It's so great to meet you. You're. You know. I get to. Spend time with almost all of our growers, and you guys being a little further away is, has prevented that until now. Um, and it's it's such such a tremendous resource for us again because we limit ourselves, you know, don't have the um, access to typical
3: uh, citrus. Um, and we, are, we thank you for that, and it's uh, it, it's been good. It's very, it's been a very good uh, relationship. Excellent. Do you have advice for? Um,
1: um, Dana and, and other um, and other. I mean, you've come so far, but do you have advice for folks that, that have a, a citrus tree or two at home? Um,
3: uh, well, uh,
1: they can be a little tricky, and they uh, right. Yeah, uh, they
3: can be uh, quite uh, finicky in some ways. The the thing I would encourage people to do is uh, use a rootstock that, like for example. Uh, like a c thirty two for example that this is a flying dragon it is extremely cold hardy and is that this root stock here? yeah uh-huh. that's, that's this rootstock and it thirty c thirty two is just the, the the technical name for it yeah. but it's basically flying dragon and
1: uh, so it's not important that you take this
3: this lime and graft it onto a lime it, it's basically the the fruit that as a, 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 a uh, C32 bears is bitter orange. And uh, it is, uh, it's not very flavorful, but the, the, f- the good part is that it can take very cold temperatures. It can go down, and I've obviously not tested it, but uh, it can take temperatures up to minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And wow. it's only one of the very few uh, rootstocks uh, root that can actually survive in the Northeast. Is this like a trifoliate orange? Is that? Yes. yes. That's, what is. Okay. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it really is. So does that mean this this could Yeah. This could it survive outside here? This play- No. The, the 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 it can't. The, the rootstock can, and if you let the rootstock grow, it will have its own citrus on it. But if you if you graft another variety on top, then obviously that variety is uh, sensitive to the temperature and to the climate, right? and it won't be able to actually grow in these conditions.
4: We've actually tried. uh, One of our first yuzu trees, we were very confident we were doing the right thing. The one we grew from seed Uh that we shouldn't have ever done, we went outside in our backyard and put it into the ground, and it died.
0: (laughs) Those
3: original yuzu? Yeah. Yeah, so out of the seven, we actually... Uh, I I thought I was, I knew what I was doing. So (laughs) I decided to plant one on each side of the house, thinking, oh, southern exposure, it should make it over there. This hidden area, it should make it over there. So we tried everything, and and all our learning pretty much has been through trial and error. So what really happened is all the way till uh, early Jan, the tree made it. And that's how we knew that it can really take cold temperatures.
4: But then it was too cold.
3: And then it just got really too cold, and then when the snow started to sit on the leaves, it just couldn't take it anymore. But yes, that's okay. how we knew that, yes, yuzu we <laughs> actually can take colder temperatures, and it's a, a fresh, <coughs> hardy tree. Do you have...
1: I mean, I, it's such a great story that you, you tasted yuzu at Nobu, and then it became this incredible. What is it that makes this so delicious to you? It's so hard to describe, right? Yeah. But...
4: It's, I, well, over the years, the more we have used the yuzu, the more we find variety of uses for it. The more we research the yuzu, the more... And, and quite frankly, we went to Japan in 2017 to uh-huh. visit Kochi, which is a prime, prime yuzu growing region, and the research station over there. When you're in Japan, during yuzu season, your mind is blown. Literally. There is everything. Yuzu in just everything. And just that that flavor is so strong, so intense, and so unlike any other. Right. I mean, uh.
1: How st- but describe that. That
4: it's, it's it's tangy and it's, I mean, I, I probably don't have the words for it, but it's tangy and it's sweet and it's sour and it's just all the flavors just mesh together in one perfect fruit like
3: it's just I, it, I the way I look at it is I feel it's the king of citrus yeah in my opinion but I'm very biased so.
4: a <laughs> <laughs> little bit but did you know we were in uh, Japan over winter solstice Uh huh. and in Japan it's very traditional to take a bath with yuzu
1: did you <laughs> do that winter
4: sol- oh we did yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you usually take the yuzu you cut it up in pieces uh-huh. put it in one of those mesh bags uh-huh Put it in a hot water bath, and you sit in it, and it supposedly brings you good luck for the rest of the year. I'm gonna try it again this year, Option. hopefully.
1: <laughs> you going back?
4: No. <laughs> what was it Just like once. to be
1: like in the, the kind of the 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 place where yuzu kind of has its highest and best?
4: It was awesome. It was really, really very educational. The only problem was that because there's a language barrier yeah. when you go to Japan. Uh huh. So we had to go with a translator
3: and… And he was a wonderful human being. Wonderful, just, just wonderful. Really it, nice it was person. a great
4: experience, but then there is also that, you know, the translation uh, aspect where you kind of think, maybe I'm not getting the nuances sure. of the conversation, but you get the data and the research station over there was very helpful. They're doing a lot of work on the Yuzu Um in greenhouses, uh-huh. so they had data on how, what they are doing in greenhouses, which we they were very happy to share with us. We brought it home, got it translated uh, from Japanese to English, and we try to follow a program similar to their program or what works best for us under sure. our circumstances. But being in Japan, in the, we also went through a lot, visited a couple of processing plants that process yuzu for different um, applications, uh-huh. rind. Seed to the cosmetics industry, juice to another industry, the rind frozen, the rind made into, um, dried up to make into a powder, a condiment. And they use every single piece of the yuzu. There's not one, nothing's wasted. And it's just, it was phenomenal to see. It's such a part of their culture versus here is this. Oh, a yuzu, so rare, so dif- so difficult to grow. So, but there, right. it's like...
3: It's just a part of... It's, it's, it's part of them.
4: It's part of them. It's a lemon. Just for, like, we go to the grocery store.
1: Did, like, did you see it growing outside as yes. well?
4: Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, the trees, the trees. They, it grows on hillsides over there. Uh-huh. So just yuzu as far as the eye can see. If you're standing on top of the hill, it's just yuzu all the way down. And we
3: had such a... You know, the, the community is so welcoming uh, our translator actually arranged for us to go to a farm where this uh, really nice couple, they made all the arrangements for us. They took us into their orchard. They set everything up, and they wanted us to uh, pluck the yuzu. They thought we were just tourists. Uh-huh. You know, we didn't know what a yuzu was. So you know, they actually uh, helped us, uh, you know, gave us these, these tools that we brought along and uh, told us, no, why don't you pick it and uh, uh, experience it and then they actually uh, made us sit down and gave us uh, some yuzu tea there was yuzu marmalade it was such a f- welcoming and fun experience that's what we really liked you know
1: did, it seem, did how did, do do your yuzu measure up to the yuzu saw? <laughs> i
4: think we take uh, very good much better care of our yuzu because we want a final product that also looks good, rather than just tasting good. In Japan, because yuzu is part of the culture, I don't think... Only the export varieties are, are grown to look pretty.
1: To the boomy standard.
4: Right. <laughs> <laughs> the other... The normal usage varieties that you see in a Japanese grocery store are not are not going to be unblemished. They're going uh-huh. to be... They are going to have blemishes. Were
1: the yields substantially higher? What kind of yields do you guys get for... On a a tree. So on tree number
3: eight (laughs) hundred
4: (laughs) and twenty. I'll have to look at my spreadsheet. uh
3: (laughs) (laughs) So I would say about between uh, twenty-five and thirty pounds, approximately. Just depends on the size of the tree, uh, you know. Whether you know, and and every tree doesn't fruit every year. So there's it. One year it'll fruit, the other year it doesn't. Some trees they fruit. It's biennial, uh, but, yeah. It's biennial, uh-huh. pretty much. So it just depends on, you know, how the tree is doing and what the conditions have been. But you know, it's 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 a, a fun experience to really enjoy and see the fruit develop in front of your eyes. As soon as the weather turns cold, the fruit t- starts to turn color. The, 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 what you were talking about from yeah. green to that's that must be a
1: really special. And, and
3: and that happens right. you know, it starts in the uh, first week of October, and by End of October, early November, the fruit has turned this bright yellow, which is right here. It's a beautiful thing.
4: We actually have a a, a user who specifically said, call me when it's half green, half yellow. I only want it then. So, I mean, and so luckily we're able to fill that niche. Like, you can't call a grower in California or, or Florida and say, Send me the fruit at this stage. They'll be like, no, no. We'll send you when right, we harvest right. the fruit. But with us, I mean, I think we offer that.
3: What do they want with the, the bicolor? I think in, in that molten state is when this particular client wanted to uh, brew their beer. Huh? So they thought that the flavors are optimal at that time. And so that's the kind of connection that we try to you know, develop with our clients. Yeah. So I, I think it's, uh, it's it's good.
4: For me, a yuzu in green yuzu, a yellow yuzu, it's a yuzu. I mean, I'll eat it. I'll use it. Uh-huh. The way I use a green yuzu, the way I use a yellow yuzu is exactly the same. But then we have people who are very particular about how they want their yuzu, which shape, you know, what state of maturity they want their yuzu in. And we are very happy to be able to cater That's to incredible.
3: that. Like, for example, Japanese chefs, they want the sudachi to be this perfect green-looking fruit. To us... Uh, we prefer the sodachi when it is more ripe. I think the the skin is more flavorful, the the texture of the fruit is better, and you know I think it, it as the fruit matures, those flavors get enhanced. But if to you, to each his own, <laughs> you know everybody does their own thing. But if you ever give a at least our experience has been if you give a uh, Japanese chef uh, a non-green sodachi they'll say, you know, this, this is no good.
4: Wow. So. They won't be happy.
3: <laughs> we should...
1: Uh, we should...
4: Oh, boy. we get some <laughs>
1: questions now from this...
3: Uh,
4: A few. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> I have uh, two questions, but some of you may consider it to be four. Um, they're two-part questions. Uh, the first has to do with organic um, and whether you're able to... Avoid pesticides and all chemicals uh, intended to kill insects and or organic fertilizers. Do you use organic fertilizers? And the second question is,
5: if you're an aspiring home citrus grower and you have six hours of light, what what variety do you recommend using and where do you recommend buying it? Preferably I'll a large the first tree to part start. Of the
4: question. You take the second part. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we do not use any chemicals in the greenhouse. The fertilizer that we use um, is a mix that is provided by one of our um, one of the nurseries we have used, and they mix an organic fertilizer. That's organic citrus fertilizer. So we have that uh, sent to us. It's uh, not cheap. Obviously, nothing is nothing good is cheap. So that's that comes to us, and we use that in our as a part of our soil mix when we uh, when we plant the yuzu at the first time, and then slightly refresh it every spring. Um, as far as the recommended citrus is concerned, I have to be honest; I have no idea. Do you? What, are you a certified organic? No, we are not certified yet. We will work on our certification eventually but we are still I think we are still in the process of figuring out our um, the method to our madness. So once we have that figured out, I think we'll do the paperwork to to officially call us but in, uh, in, in all in all um, in, we don't really use any chemicals so I mean, we can't, because you have to eat the fruit with the, with the, and, you know, with it's, the skin. And it's like
3: if you uh, in, introduce chemicals, You know, we have Simran having it, you know, we are consuming it ourselves. Yeah. I, I think it's just going to be bad for everyone, to be quite honest, if we introduce any kind of chemicals. What we do do, though, is we uh, use beneficials, and we also use a lot of neem products. Mm-hmm. So we've tried different varieties... And essentially, neem has tend has t- has helped keep the pests under control. A, n- a greenhouse can never be pest-free. What we can do is we can just keep that under check. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second part of the question was, uh, what varieties would you recommend, and uh, and how would you grow it in a six-hour window of sunlight? Right. Okay, so. Uh, I would say the the easiest thing to do is... uh, Citrus, actually, in our greenhouse, the way we uh, extend the season is by grow lights. So citrus does just fine in grow lights. So that way, uh, in the fall, we can create summer-like conditions by introducing uh, grow lights. And so that that solves that problem. And as far as the varieties, uh, it just depends on what you're really looking for in terms of taste. Now, if you want something that is constantly in season, calamansi is the way to go. But uh, I think because there are so many different varieties, and people coming from different regions of the world have different personal favorites. Uh, there was, there's one restaurant group who has asked us for the Marrakesh Lemonette, which is Citron Beldi. It's a Moroccan lemon. And we are exclusively growing that Moroccan lemon just for them. And uh, so, and, and that has uh, a, a very unique flavor. It is extremely tart and uh, delicious in Moroccan cooking. So it just, because there's, it, it, that's a, a difficult question to answer because there's 6,000 varieties. <laughs> <laughs> and Which one and can you really pick? When, when is what would you have most success with as a, a home gardener? I would say, uh, based on our experience, uh, probably the yuzu would be uh, the easiest to do. Really? Yeah. Wow.
4: Well, for us, it was the easiest, I think. I think calamansi would be okay, too.
3: I think calamansi would be okay, too, just because it, is, it requires even less care than the yuzu. And it just, you know, uh, tends to bloom all the time.
4: Uh, just just one thing we've learned over the years is you have to be very careful about overwatering your citrus. Mm. Too much love can kill the citrus. literally. We've had last year we had an issue where.
3: We had a, a, a serious problem where we thought we were doing the right thing and we lost uh, about 20 trees because uh, we had a drip system that we installed. So the roots were completely wet and the top was dry. And because it's all trial and error for us, we have never gone to agricultural school, per se, and, uh, you know, I don't have a degree in agriculture. We quickly realized that all the leaves were really turning yellow. So, obviously, we instantly stopped watering, and uh, we have learned over the years that it is better to water less than to water more. And that's something that, you know, you should always keep in mind. The, the citrus tree is essentially like uh, a good watering. And then after that, once it's completely soaked, you shouldn't water it for a good 10 days, at least if it's in a container setting.
2: Um, So you said you keep your greenhouse at 55 in the winter. Where is it in the summer?
3: So that's actually a a good question. (laughs) The temperatures in the greenhouse can actually go up to 90 degrees in the summer. The good part is it actually works in our favor because the conditions, the hot, humid conditions, are what exist in Kochi, Japan as well. So that kind of works very much in our favor. We are able to replicate its natural habitat in our greenhouse in New Jersey.
2: And also, are your
3: trees all dwarf trees, or how big do they get? So they are all uh, dwarfing, uh, dwarfing rootstock, essentially, but that also tends to get a good, uh, you know, with the size of the, uh, the 20-gallon pots and, and the tree on top, it, it, I would say at least five to six feet tall.
1: Will they outgrow the pots eventually, or
3: they will? Yes, eventually they will. And so what we do is we tend to uh, prune them, and uh, so every time we change the soil, the the root system gets a little shaved off, so that we can control them better in the pots.
4: Did y'all have? Did y'all um, grow up with citrus, and if so, what kind? So we were we grew up in uh, India. Uh-huh. And in India, we just had you know regular oranges, regular oranges and, regular oranges and stuff me. like nothing, nothing, nothing funky like that. Just yeah. regular <laughs> oranges. And
2: do, what was your training before you decided to be lemon on citrus entrepreneurs? We, are,
4: we both have MBAs,
2: and they both work full time. Yeah, well, outside so you do your other job yes. and your citrus entrepreneur job. Yes, right. Okay. right. Yes, and
0: your and you raise an amazing child. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Is the yuzu or uh, and some of the other varieties, you're growing quite a number. uh, Are they self-pollinating? And do you have to help that in any way? And uh, is there a problem with cross-pollination when you have so many varieties in one spot?
3: So citrus, uh, that's uh, a good thing. Citrus is self-pollinating. Most, majority of citrus is self-pollinating. We do help it with uh, using a special type of uh, bumblebee for greenhouses. But we haven't uh, been uh, using bumblebees too much. Essentially, because it is self-pollinating, we have uh, had enough success by itself. But yes, in a greenhouse setting, we have tried it. It's worked. And in fact, one year in, uh, I think it was last year, we had a good crop just because we had... Uh, bumblebees pollinating the citrus.
4: The first couple of years, he used to go around with a paintbrush mm-hmm. from one flower to uh-huh. the next,
3: and, and just, try to cross pollinate. Yeah. But it's <laughs> I, honestly that when,
4: I, when we were in the when the trees were in the in the house, Correct. he would he would try to yeah. cross pollinate pollinate the trees with the help of a paintbrush, and then I don't know how much how. If that made any difference or not, but
3: but I, honestly, I have not seen any cross-pollination. At, at least, if that process does occur, or is occurring, I think it's going to take a while. It's the, the time period for analysis is just too short to really figure out what the true effects are going to be over time. Yes, there is a lot of varieties in a very uh, constricted area, so definitely, it's going to have some impact.
2: Sounds as though you may have honeybees as well, and if so, will you do honey, and can I get on the list?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, honeybees are are not used for pollination, and uh, it's um, it, that that's just uh, that's just the way it is, and
6: uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> maybe but we have sometime tried.
3: in the future. Okay,
6: if yeah,
4: we did try that, That was another thing, right? In in Japan, they had yuzu flavored honey yes. pollinated by bees who feast on yuzu trees. So I, it's exceptional. It's really good. But no, no we don't use honey. We, we, can, we are not going to be honey beekeepers, sorry. Year. <laughs> <Next year. laughs> Maybe.
1: Do you think you're going to stay at the 5,000 square feet and the 800 plus trees?
4: <laughs>
1: or is that, so? should I ask that?
4: Well, there is a possibility for expansion uh-huh. that might happen in the next few months. We are exploring the possibility whether that, how that possibility will pan out. we don't know yet because it has just come to the table. So we would like to expand <laughs> because the more we can the more space we can get, the more room we can have for the trees to grow in, um, you know, better <laughs> ventilation, better spacing all that affects the final final
3: result so and yeah. and the reason why we say that is because we have actually been in, uh, uh, in consultation with a good friend in switzerland who's doing something very similar to us he has been growing for many years citrus in pots in uh, uh, very close to geneva and even and, and just very recently we we went and met him in the, in the summer of this year And he is actually moving everything from parts into the ground. So Uh, In a greenhouse setting? In a greenhouse Uh setting. So, hopefully we can get there one day, but, you know, he has been... He started so small, He's already has uh, a good five-year lead over us. And I think that's what's eventually going to be happening with all these trees, because the size is just going to get humongous. It's going to be difficult to maintain in parts. How often do you repot? When do you repot? And when you repot, do you add organic material? So we do repot once a year. We use organic material uh, like uh, a chicken manure. We use uh, crushed leaves. We create. I try to create this uh, blend that I call my own concoction. <laughs> and it's worked for us. And we do it... Uh, In the spring and then we just let the trees be and uh, so far they have been doing pretty well
2: so it would seem that there's not many of you in the world doing this very rare thing have you made friends with other Yuzu owners and my other question is I just saw a limequat in a store and what is that
3: So, yes, we have made friends with uh, other user growers. In fact, there is uh, a user grower in Australia that, uh, uh, who is a very good friend of ours. And uh, we have this crazy network where we talk to people in Switzerland, in Australia, in California, in Florida. So it, it's been a, a good learning experience and, and a great journey so far. And uh, a lime quart, is basically uh a blend between a hybrid it's, it's, a, it's a hybrid between um a,
4: a lime variety
3: and a lime variety water. and i think uh and i'm not sure but so it's not that
4: it's
3: not that uh, moroccan lemon no no it's not.
4: no the no, moroccan lemon th- is called a marrakesh lemonette. okay a lime coat is very small yellow colored um, thing is almost the shape of a kumquat, but it d- tastes different.
3: We actually have a hybrid of a limequat that we are growing called a foxtrime,
4: <laughs>
3: which is basically uh, a hybrid between a finger lime and a limequat. Okay. <laughs> and that is another variety that actually grows and, and fruits a few times a year.
1: Do you do finger traditional finger limes too?
3: Uh. Not really, they have a a burst and then, I think it does it probably twice
0: a year. I'm also a son of an immigrant from India, from uh, Bombay Central. How does um, growing lemons um, impact your soul and and raising your daughter?
4: Okay, so you're from Bombay, India?
0: Uh, I'm a son, I'm, I'm your daughter. Oh, you're okay.
4: Okay, so we are, we are from Bombay. We were born. Both of us were born and raised in Bombay, and we came here uh, as students, um, and then you know found out, found jobs. And I think, I think what this represents to her, we hope this represents to her is follow your passion. Don't don't fit in the mold. Follow your passion. I know Indian immigrant parents are very, very. <laughs> Um, narrow-minded when it comes to their children's career choices you have to be a doctor or an engineer or CPA or an engineer one of those careers that pays uh, in the six figures in the least but we, we hope that we are able to demonstrate to her you know follow your passion do what do what you like and then be excellent at it and success will follow that's that's our hope from this for her if she wants to she loves cooking. Now, that doesn't come from me, I can tell you that. <laughs> that does not come from me. But she loves baking. And my job, my contribution to her baking is the cleanup. That's all it is. So Lucky her. Wow. Yeah. She, <laughs> yeah. She, 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 we hope that we are able to demonstrate to her that, hey, success comes in different packages.
2: I was listening carefully when you said that the trees are planted into 20-gallon containers, and I um, move my lime tree in and out every year with a hand truck, because it's starting to get big, and it's very prickly, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So how much does a 20-gallon container weigh? Oh, a lot.
3: (laughs) A lot. It's, uh, you know, we uh, we, definitely need two people. And to be quite honest, I haven't actually weighed it. But um, we tend to have a lot of help, uh, especially when they have to. The plants have to be repotted. The trees have to be moved, and uh, it, it is a quite an uh, gigantic task, to say the least.
4: Yeah. So. So that was one of the reasons why we needed to move them to a greenhouse setting, because it started to get very cumbersome to move them in and out of my front door. Like, it won't fit, and in order to fit, I may have to. You know, laid on a side. But when I'm laying it on the side, all the soil falls out, and right on my front door. Okay, this is this is not fun. <laughs> this needs to have a better home than we can have. And moreover, in the home setting, it's very dry, which which also is not good for the tree. It tends to attract more especially dryness the Marquard, related.
3: The marker lines are very prone to scale in a dry setting. So yeah. when when we originally started, we had a marker line. And uh, the, we, we brought it in, and we thought we were just doing the right thing. And just, there was just so much scale that we just didn't know what to do. And we tried some home remedies, like uh, a soap mix and a insecticidal an soap. soap mix, and yeah. nothing seemed to work. And we actually had to just get rid of that tree. Yeah. So.
5: Questions for Spike. Do you happen to know if there are any Maryland counties that have uh, community greenhouses that are associated with landfills?
1: No, I don't, know. that's a good question. I've always wanted to tap into the, the heat that the Corradetti Studio generates and do our own. They have so much heat, yeah. that's just, you know, we have a glass studio right next to Woodbury Kitchen, and they just oh, wow. have tremendous amount of heat, especially, and they mostly operate in the winter. T- I was just always fantasy thinking, but I, I'm not aware of that. That would be incredible. Um, plenty of growers now have greenhouses and use them in different ways, but none, I think, have this this, this interesting source of...
3: Energy, yeah. Yeah, which it's, is... Uh, they've been very fortunate in that respect. And maybe, we, Dana, you wanted to say something, but maybe we should kind of...
1: We should uh, wrap up. wrap up, because this has been incredible. We have, as usual, after our, our conversation here, uh, a supper um, featuring... The stars of the show, you and uh, um, Yuzu and Calamansi um, and Calaman, um, what is it? The Calamansi, yes. Yes, okay. And um,
2: do you know what
1: the menu is? It's, it's chicken. I, I was away. I just got back. Uh, I know we have roast chicken. Um, do you know?
2: I, it would take me a while to find it, so it's probably just it's fries (laughs) but it's
1: gonna we're gonna end up with some delicious meringues I know that
2: yeah I just want to point out that the dessert part of the dessert is Simran's meringues that she worked very hard
5: (laughs) if only there were a restaurant where she could enter
4: (laughs) (laughs) actually she did they were very nice Hannah took her to Woodbury kitchen and she spent a couple of hours this evening helping out with the pastry chefs over there She came back here with the biggest
2: smile I have seen on her face. So I just have a couple of last-minute things to say. Um, For once in our lives, we actually have some origins dates uh, on the calendars. So if you're interested in putting them on your calendar, looking ahead, um, it's Thursday, January 31st. Is that the 31st? 30th? 30th? January 30th. we're bringing back, we're reprising, uh, we're doing, bringing back an alum, Bernie Herman. I don't know if any of you remember him, but uh, he's a historian, a professor, and um, he's just published a book called The South We Never Ate. And uh, he was one of the founders of the Eastern Shore um, of Virginia Foodways. So he's fascinating, and we're excited to have him back, and obviously he'll have his book with him this time. So that's January 30th. And then we've never um, done a show on chocolate, so we thought with February being Valentine's Day, we would uh, we would visit chocolate. So we know Gingy has agreed to participate, so we're excited about that. There's another chocolatier that we're trying to confirm right now, so I don't want to mention his name What's until the date? Uh, that would be February 27th. So, yeah. So um, that's where we are right now. So I know I never know in advance, so finally have that <laughs> information. So that's it.
1: That's great, yeah. thank you. Sure. And thank you guys for being here. Thank you Thank you very much. Thanks again for joining us tonight for our conversation at Artifact Coffee. With special thanks to Dana Slater for producing the program, Hannah Reagan for her masterful coordination, and particular thanks to Donnie Carlo for recording this evening's conversation. We're grateful to be partnering with Heritage Radio in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you to them for creating a home for the Origin Speaker Series.
3: This program is powered by Simplecast.
0: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio.